Welcome to Modern Animism, A Holistic Spiritual Path. I'm your host, Laura Giles. Thanks for tuning in. You know, one of the things that people don't often talk about, but we really should, is spiritual narcissism. So spirituality is a big business. It attracts a lot of people who have big egos. They want you to follow them and worship them, and then they end up taking advantage of you and hurting you. So there's lots of articles about ayahuasca retreats where people are sexually assaulted, for example. So today, my guest Jennifer Moy and I are going to explore that. So Jennifer is the author of Empathic Mastery, a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. She's the host of Empathic Mastery Show on News for the Soul Radio and has tons of skills and products that I hope that she's going to share with us today on our talk. But before we dive in with that, let's not forget to give gratitude to the ancestors and elements. I acknowledge that thank the element of Earth for keeping us stable, balanced, and keeping us firmly grounded. I send gratitude for our physical bodies that helped us to enjoy life in the physical realm. All the stars that we see, the bird songs that we hear, the flowers and strawberries that we taste and smell at this time of year, and the emotions that we feel. For all these sensuous things that make a physical life challenging, amazing, and feeling alive, I thank you. I acknowledge and thank the element of air for inspiring us with ideas and giving us the means to communicate them to each other and in the spirit realm. Our ideas are the sparks that bring new things to life, so thank you. I acknowledge and thank the element of fire for the drive that puts our uh, actions and ideas into real life things. And I thank you for the balance of responsibility that keeps us from being hedonistic, selfish, or wanton so that we serve others as we serve ourselves. Such an important thing to balance that we don't encroach on each other's boundaries. Thank you, fire. I acknowledge the element of water and thank you for sustaining our lives and reminding us to go with the flow. I acknowledge and thank our loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral kingdoms. Thank you for all the help that we receive that is seen and unseen. And I thank our listening community for tuning in and coming on over to our private groups in MeWe and Facebook to join the conversation and send us questions. And if any of our shows inspire or help you, please consider donating to keep us going. And if you want to support in other ways, write us a review on iTunes. It helps our Google rating so that others can find us more easily. So I know you want to hear from our guests, right? So welcome, Jennifer Moore. Thank you so much, Laura. It is so good to be here. And just even your little teaser at the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so juicy. <laughs> Girlfriend, you have a really interesting life story. So I would love it if we could start there. Absolutely. Um, yes, I do have a really interesting life story. And um, I, uh, you know, I... I, in some ways, I think I'm one of those people who was, you know, just kind of always kind of went, huh, I wonder how we could make this happen. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been very, very, very lucky and very blessed to go after dreams. Um, that said, I also have been an extremely highly sensitive and intuitive person from the time I was a very, very little girl. And so I experienced a lot of anxiousness and social, just feeling out of sorts and feeling like an outsider, you know, and knowing like the kids knew I was not the same as the rest of them. And I didn't really know how to cope with that because, you know, growing up in the, you know, as a kid, I was a kid in the seventies and growing up in the seventies, you know, aside from Star Trek and the empath episode, there was just nobody talking about what it means to be aware of something larger than yourself. And, and if you started talking about intuitive abilities or picking up on things that were going on in the greater world, I was growing up in a family of my mother was a, a was a a psychiatric nurse who worked as a psychotherapist and my father was a social worker and I come from medical model family mm. so everybody was just like that's all in your head mm. isn't that cute she has such a great imagination <laughs> so um I and I definitely got to spend some time working through uh what it's like to know things and be invalidated for what mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a little piece of, of my childhood. 
um, you know, ask a question, you know, tell me what, what is it particularly that you, you were thinking about? It was just so many things that I heard about you. I mean, we could do 10 shows on you and just not even scratch the surface. So I I just kind of wanted people who are tuning in to just, you know, kind of have an idea of who's in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so I guess the short version is that, you know, I, I was an awkward, magical child who really, you know, like, uh, tried to just didn't get along well with the muggles, didn't know how to fit in with the muggles, but grew up in a muggle world. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with, uh, the Harry Potter term muggle, that is the idea of those who are non-magical, who tend to perceive the world through, um, very much through sort of that insulation of, of, it's all, you know, it's only them that they're perceiving and experiencing. And I grew up in, you know, a lily white town in Massachusetts where we had more banks and churches than any other institutions. And so it was a very strange place to be somebody who talked to the rocks and talked to the plants and talked to the trees and believed that there were unseen things all around me and really just and also had past life memories very very early and all of that so i i you know but art was something that really drew me so i started making art and wanting to become an artist so i got out of my small town when i was 17 and i went off to actually an early admissions college for a little while but then i went to art school so i have an undergraduate degree in fine arts and then i spent some time i discovered that it was easier to make money as a psychic than it was as an artist so i actually started uh reading cards for a living and teaching um, intuitive development and psychic skills with people and that actually led me to realize because people when i first started reading cards i was really curious about what will happen to people i was very interested in sort of fate and destiny Mm -hmm. and thinking in terms of like you know, life, life is something that happens to you, not something that you engage with and make choices about. But what I discovered is I personally started doing my own work on the impact of being so highly sensitive. And part of that was about the fact that I had to admit that I was binging on sugar and it was making my life completely unmanageable. And when I, so I quit smoking, gained 40 pounds and basically ended up on sort of on my emotional knees, acknowledging that I had a problem with body image, with you know, with, 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 and basically an eating disorder and a sugar addiction. And so as I started to look at my own stuff and do my own personal work, what I started to discover in doing work as an intuitive was that I was really, instead of it being, ah, you're going to meet a tall, dark cesspool and fall in and, and people come, when am I going to meet my tall, dark cesspool? How many children am I going to have with them? My questions started to be, and I started working with people more in, why are you continuously attracted to tall, dark cesspools? Yeah. And what can you do to stop this? As well as if somebody would ask me the question, how many kids am I going to have? I would literally look at them and say, how many do you want to have? Yeah. Like, you know, it's sort of like, these are big questions to be leaving up to fate. And that led me to realize that I needed to develop skills as a healer, because what I found was that so much of what was driving our bus as human beings had to do with unreconciled uh events from the past you know whether it was and and just big t trauma and little t traumas as well as collective experiences and i realized you know at first it started with how to deal with healing the difficult past events and traumatic stuff 
from this lifetime. And then I started realizing we needed to not only heal stuff from this lifetime, but we really needed to address karmic wounds, things that happened in previous lives, as well as addressing ancestral legacies as you know, because not only is there sort of the encoded stuff that's in our DNA, but then there's also a whole bunch of ancestral agreements and belief systems and contracts and everything that we're all up against and that needs to be addressed and cleared if we want to live a life of choice as opposed to a life of fate. Yeah. 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 Get off that hamster wheel. Yeah. So yeah. um you covered a ton of ground there. I, I did. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go back to um uh, empath. So when you yes. when you say that word, what do you mean exactly? Thank you. So when I so first off I want to say that in my so very, very basically, I think most people would agree that empathy is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, mm -hmm. to imagine what their experience is. And I think sympathy is, you know, there's sort of the distinction between sympathy and empathy is that I think sympathy tends to have the ability to recognize that somebody is going through a hard time, but not necessarily to feel what it would be like or imagine that experience. It's sort of like, wow, really sucks to be them that they're going through that. Good thing it's not me. And empaths to be an empathy is like that deep sense, that, that felt sense of like knowing on, a, on an emotional level what it is like to experience something. Now, I believe that empathy is, and, and empaths, it's a scale. And actually, we've got sort of like, you know, sort of like the narcissism and, you know, psychopaths on one side of it and empaths on the other side of it. And that there's a continuum. And that I think most people tend to fall somewhere in the middle where they have a capacity to imagine what other people would be feeling, but not feeling it directly. And sort of on the scale on the side of narcissists, it's they Everything is about them, you know, it's the 24 seven, you know, like me, me, me show. And there's absolutely everything is, is simply other human beings are more like just a reflection of them as opposed. And so there's no awareness of how that other person is actually feeling. And empaths on the other side of the spectrum are people who not only can imagine what people are thinking and feeling, but who actually take on and absorb the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations of the people and often of the world around them. And there are some people who may have sort of, who may be sensitive where, you know, your boss is having a bad day, you go into work, you feel out of sorts, and then you realize it's because your boss is feeling out of sorts. But then there are people who are so sensitive that they're picking up on the world, that they're picking up on the geopathic stress, that they're picking up on um things going on in different time frames. They're picking up on things that happened in the past, things that are going to be happening in the future. And what I've been seeing with this pandemic is that because of the level of, of collective stress that we are experiencing as a planet right now, many people who had the ability to kind of compartmentalize and um, insulate or or kind of protect themselves from feeling all the feels about what's going on in the world that that's been wearing thin and a lot more people are coming into a higher level of empathy and many people are waking up into being empaths in a way that we i think is unprecedented and so many people i think right now are struggling for the first time with why am I feeling so strange? Why am I feeling yeah. so distressed? Why am I feeling so, you know, X, Y, Z when there's nothing wrong in my own life, when I'm not, when I'm not, you know, like I'm okay. 
and I think that what is going on on the planet right now, we're going through this massive global shift, and I believe a birthing of a new world and an awakening. Um, you know, where whether we awaken, what we awaken into has a lot to do with the choices we make. But I really believe that we're going through this, and part of it is that more and more people are coming into their awareness of their interconnection with absolutely everything on the planet. So that sounds, if, if I didn't have that ability before and that's started happening to me now, that sounds pretty horrible. <laughs> Is there a way to uh, tone it down or, or get it under control in some way? Yes. And, um, you know, there are so many different pieces to the work we need to do in order to navigate it. And one of the problems that I've seen and I've, you know, I've experienced myself and I've also seen so many other people do is that you can't suppress it without it being without it going sideways. I always have this image of, you know, that contact paper that they used to the sticky paper that they used mm -hmm. to put over shelves all the time. And it was inevitable that you'd have a bubble in the middle of the piece of paper, you know, and you'd try to push that bubble down and move the bubble around, you know, push it down and push it out. But it never failed. The bubble would just go someplace else. And that's the thing about being highly sensitive, trying to put a lid on it, trying to ignore it, trying to shut it down. The problem with that is it just tends to go sideways. And so it doesn't necessarily, we can't necessarily just ignore it. I've known so many people who, especially when they were younger, they had maybe a negative premonition, something, you know, they, mm. they anticipated a death or something else. And so they suppressed their ability. But the problem with that is that it doesn't suppress the abilities, it just makes it harder to access. And it comes out sideways, it comes out as physical health issues, it comes out as it comes out as emote, you know, as anxiousness, it comes out as nightmares, it comes out in all kinds of different ways. But it doesn't necessarily disappear. And a lot of us, you know, alcoholism, drug use, sugar addiction in my case, uh, cigarette smoking, uh, compulsive shopping, binge watching, all kinds of behaviors that we use for self-soothing, the, you know, they work to some extent, but the problem with everything is that it doesn't necessarily address the root cause. And what I will say is that I think that one of the really, the, the long-term solution for dealing with being highly sensitive and empathic is learning how to be okay with discomfort. Um, because what I have found is that highly sensitive and empathic people, you know, we pick up other people's feelings. And if we're not comfortable with our own uncomfortable feelings, we're going to be really uncomfortable with other people's uncomfortable feelings. And so understanding how to sit with the depths of grief, with the depths of loneliness, with rage, with all kinds of different intense emotions, if we can learn how to do this, then we don't need to fix something. Mm -hmm. Instead, we can be present with it and acknowledge what's going on. Now, I'm not going to say that it makes it necessarily comfortable. Um, one of the things I've been experiencing in the last year since the, you know, since the pandemic started is that I've had generally anywhere between 10 to 14 days prior to something really intense happening, I've been awakening, I've been waking up at about five o'clock in the morning with my heart pounding, mm -hmm. heart palpitations, feeling like I'm plugged into an electric socket. And um, one of the first and most intense ones was when, was a about a two weeks before my dad died from COVID. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so so, so yes, to anybody who's listening, who has not yet known anybody who has lost somebody to COVID, congratulations, now you do. Um, but um, when I was experiencing that, I didn't know what was going on. And it was very, very, very disconcerting. And it was very, very um, disorienting. But I had the tools, like I, I've, I've, 
I've been doing the work for long enough to know, okay, I can just, I'm okay. I can breathe. I can be present. And I started to understand as I just kept on moving through the process of now when these, these blips come up, I'm like, yep, another surge is coming. So by no means do I want to say like, yeah, it's a cakewalk to be this sensitive. But I also think that the reason why we're so uncomfortable is that we've been living in a lie for yeah. some people would say for 4,500 years um, you know, with the onset of agriculture and the onset of separating ourselves from each other, that in a lot of ways, it's like, um, you know, it's that thing of like when your nerves, nervous system comes back online after something has been dulled and numbed for a really long time, it kind of feels like pins and needles. And I think that we cannot deny what we are. We cannot deny that we are interconnected. Like you and I are part of the same body. You and I are cells in the same body, um, you know, and you and I, you and I exist as something so much greater than ourselves. And the lie that empire, um, you know, which is a term that my friends, uh, Clark Strand and Perdita Finn, who wrote an amazing book called The Way of the Rose, which is, if you do not know this book, it's absolutely incredible talking about the encoded earth-based mysteries within the rosary but um they refer to the idea of empire and the idea of how empire has has been sort of really just directing the story for a very long time and one of the things that empire does is it invite it's an, it it has been selling us this lie that we're individuals, that we are separate, that we are, that we are not part of a greater whole. And so I think so many people have been kind of in this sort of weird sort of, you know, kind of like isolated place. And now that that separation is sort of being melted off, I think a lot of people are feeling the discomfort because it's it's like that nerve nervous system coming on, coming back online, and suddenly it's like pins and needles everywhere. Yeah, that's one of the wonderful things I think about animism is that if you grew up in it like I did, that's just kind of how it's always been, you know, and you kind of get that sometimes you're uncomfortable. You know, exactly. there, I don't think that there there's an expectation that this is going to be happily ever after or that I'm done and now I'm always connected or or anything in the cycle is ever the same. You know, it's always changing. Well, and you said something in, um, you know, in one of the episodes I was listening to, you just said this piece where I was like, I'm listening, I'm cooking in the kitchen, and I'm listening. I'm like, yes, yes. And you were talking about death and about how within animism, and while I don't necessarily use the word animism, um, you and I are so completely on the same page with all of this. And it's funny because I wasn't raised in a family that believed it, but I was this way even as a small child and I knew it. Like um, I absolutely, I just knew these things, but you said you were talking about animism understands that death is part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And and that actually in some ways kind of leads to the thing that you kind of dropped the teaser about at the beginning of this, of 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 the show about spiritual narcissism mm -hmm. and um you know and about this whole sort of these these like big foo-foo leaders who are so invested in you know their self-aggrandizement and you know i think one of the things that i see within that is also so frequently within within the new age and spiritual communities there's a denial of death. Like, like I was part of for a number of years, I was eating, um, I was, I was eating a, a very sort of uh spiritually correct diet. I'm not gonna necessarily go into the specifics of the diet, but I was eating a really spiritually correct diet. And one of the things sort of at the very end of the spectrum were people who considered themselves or who believed that you could exist on breath and sunlight alone. And yeah. yeah. And the thing is that, and, and the idea also was this, you know, if you ate the right foods, if you ate the right foods and you did the right things and you got the right supplements, somehow you could prolong your life for, you know, like it was this quality of like, like 
immortality was the goal or and longevity is the goal. And part of me is like, it's a complete setup for human beings to, if you're regarding problems with the body, um, you know, just the inevitability of a human body breaking down as being a problem, it's sort of like, it's really unfortunate because it's kind of, it's kind of encoded into the equation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, with the, with everything is sacred and everything is connected, do you have a theory about how the empath and, and narcissist are, uh, maybe attracted to each other. So what, what I'm kind of talking about is like the twin flame thing. Yes, yes, like yes, yes. A lot of people feel like this is, I don't know, desirable maybe. <laughs> well, okay. So the thing about the empath and the narcissist is that for the narcissist, it's all about them. And for the empath, it's all about them right. know, in terms of it's all about the narcissist. Mm -hmm. I believe that the reason why empaths and narcissists are so utterly attracted to each other and and in some ways it's like the opposite ends of the scale yeah. that both of them you know that that they 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 tend to find their way to each other but i believe that the empath and narcissist on an emotional you know more interpersonal level relationship and even probably on the on the grander scale of like the uh, narcissistic spiritual leader mm -hmm. that the thing about it is that it at first it is absolutely a match made in heaven there is nothing more exquisite because the thing is that the empath by their nature is picking up all the thoughts feelings energy sensations of the narcissist and the narcissist is basking in the glow of both the attention that they're getting from the narcissist um, the pleasure that they are giving the narcissist, because the, I mean, not the narcissist, the, the empath, the empath is feeling all the pleasure that the narcissist is feeling. And that's giving, that's creating a feedback loop where the empath feels fantastic. So they're getting all this, like all this yummy, juicy, like deliciousness coming from picking up on all the stuff that the narcissist is feeling. And so both of both parties are feeling fantastic in the very beginning of it. And the narcissist, you know, the narcissist not only gets to bask in all of the attention and all of the validation and all of the acknowledgement, but also the fact that the empath feels so good being around them is a reflection of how awesome they are. So it's, it really starts off for most people and for most of, you know, the empath narcissist combo is an absolutely amazing combo. And I think you're right that a lot of people, when they first encounter that empath narcissist fusion, it does feel like a soulmate. It does feel like a twin flame. It does feel like, oh, I've been waiting for you my entire life. And, you know, and, and what I have discovered or seen being around many empathic women, especially, and interestingly, there does tend to be a gender distinction that more frequently narcissism and especially narcissistic personality disorder tends to manifest more with men than with women. I actually think that narcissistic women are much better at like they're much they do it in a different way. I don't think that necessarily we don't have narcissistic women as much as what we identify as um as a narcissist in our culture tends to fall into the categories that males tend to be more entitled to you know or behaviors mm -hmm. that males tend to tend to do but you know in general we tend to have the narcissist is male and the empath is female so one of the things i've seen again and again is when children come into the equation because the narcissist often will want to have kids partially as a reflection of them you know that it's it's mini me's but the problem is that when an m when any woman has a child any parent who's the primary parenting person care caretaking has kids the priorities radically shift and where they used to have time to dote on the narcissist 
suddenly there is somebody more important. And that's where I have seen pretty much in every single uh, marriage with kids between a narcissist and an empath, that is the place where I have seen things break down mm -hmm. and basically the relationship just like cease to be able to function effectively because it's no longer all about them. That makes sense. So yeah. what about the, uh, in the case of the spiritual guru, is there a breaking point for that? Um, I think, I mean, it's been, so I absolutely, one of the things I absolutely love is watching documentaries and reading about cults, persuasion, and human vulnerability. I actually, as an undergraduate, I actually, the best, one of the best courses I ever took in undergrad, as an undergraduate was a class literally called cults, persuasion, and human vulnerability. And, um, you know, I'll just make a plug for there's, you know, like the, the, there, there's a couple new series that came out within the last year that are really fascinating to deconstruct. Um, one's called The Vow. It's about the Nexium cult. And the other one is Seduction. That's also about the Nexium cult. And I don't know if you're familiar with this cult, mm -hmm. but led by this very, very powerful man who had been trained in NLP, or actually, I don't even know if he trained in NLP, but worked with somebody else. But this guy basically created this like really, 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 really large cult that involves sex trafficking and manipulating oh people. I mean, it's, 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 it's like the stuff of like, of, of, of movies. It's like, it's so, it's so crazy, the stuff that these people do. I mean, I think that I, I, I mean, part of me is just like, I, I guess that what I would say is that from a from a more meta or broadening out standpoint, I think that one of the problems in our world right now is that everybody in our culture has been breathing the oxygen that is that is reinforcing the lie or has been sort of infused in an operating system that is telling us that we are disconnected, that we are separate, that we are individuals. And that believes that there is only one pie with multi, you know, with only with finite pieces. And that if you get yours, I won't get mine. Right. And so there is this perception of scarcity. And, you know, thinking about the phenomenon of the need to wear the crown, the need to be seen as the person who has all the answers, the need to be seen as the person above, at the core of it is, I think, the, the, the wound that we are separate and that only by aggrandizing ourselves or lifting ourselves up do we do we become you know do we can we somehow solve the problem right um and yet the problem with this is that the 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 greed monster wants more 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 and so what i've noticed in regards to cults is that or in terms of like and and in terms of these really big spiritual leaders is that a lot of times if they cease to be grounded, if they cease to be humble, if they are doing things for their own better gain, it seems like eventually things topple. And I mean, I'm sure you and I could list, a, you know, like you and I could probably list a hundred different scenarios where either financial or sexual or both, financial or sexual abuse or both, basically sort of came to the surface and and eventually the entire structure started to unravel and come apart and you know while while the you don't have necessarily the they had a kid and now the kids needs are more important than the than the mm -hmm. the leaders needs i do think that the functioning the running of an organization um, that there just comes a point where the operate the system doesn't work. It starts to break down because the needs of the whole are not being acknowledged. I mean, I think about right. yeah, 
Um, you know, uh, I was just thinking about Bhagwan Rajanish and, you know, you know, his fleet of Rolls Royces. And if, if, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but if anybody is interested in a really, really juicy documentary series, it's called Wild Wild Country. And it, it really just unpacks the insidiousness because within that structure, there were, it wasn't just him. There were other people who were power, who were going for the power grab and who were power hungry and who were manipulating the system and who were using the system for their, their personal gain as well. So it was kind of like this spectacular train wreck to, yeah. to watch what was happening. I think yeah. it also exists uh, in things like law of attraction, or you have these success coaches, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, Sometimes it's wrapped in a spirituality blanket, but when they're we're talking about, you know, making all this money and, and you're worshiping at the altar of this person and that person, and you just have to do this and you're going to be enough. I mean, I think that's another reflection of the same thing. I absolutely agree. And I mean, ever since I, I've been around because of the way that the healing world works, there's a lot of interface or there's a lot of overlap between um, spiritual healing and the new age world. And mm -hmm. so I've been around law of attraction for a long time. And I will never forget, like one of the very first times I started hearing that you create your own reality. And I looked around me and I'm in a room full of white people. And I'm in a room full of white people with a lot of privilege. And the thing that I have never, ever been able to reconcile, and I have never been able to completely understand is, how is it that nearly everybody who's talking about creating their own reality and choosing their birth and choosing their experience are people who've coming from, are coming from for from good fortune who are coming from having the circumstance of winning you know winning the privileged lottery and i think that there is a lot of blindness in the ideas of you create your own reality. And if it sucks, then that's your problem and you need to do something about it. I think, I think it is. And there's some really, and, and this is not my area of expertise. I've listened to stuff about this, but so I'll just say, if this is a rabbit hole, somebody wants to go down, you know, do your research, but there's a really, really strong correlation between fascism and white supremacy and the building up of the original teachings of new thought and so there's you know there's there's i and i believe that this world is that there is there is infinite abundance on this planet and i also believe that the biggest problem in our, on our planet is basically scarce the belief in scarcity and lack and the idea that if we let everybody have what they need somehow we'll be deficient so right. i do believe the solution is abundance and the solution is generosity and the solution is love but i think that there's this way that some of the law of attraction stuff and also you know the whole coaching industry i i can't I'm sort of going down a tangent here, but I can't tell you how many times in the last year I have just like rolled my eyes and like um, either unfollowed somebody or unsubscribed or just been like, oh, no, you didn't, because they're talking about pivoting in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, these people who are like, oh, this is my opportunity to launch my dream business. And I'm just like. No, this is the opportunity to save your life. This is the opportunity to like make sure that you stay out of harm's way. And I've just, every single person I've worked with privately has struggled with the fact that they have not been able to do all the things. And when we start talking about what has come into their life in the last year, most people's responsibilities to their families to their children to just the basic things of just like chopping wood and carrying water has ex has exponentially grown like one person i know had been working doing a certain thing she had a part-time job where she spent five five to nine hours a week doing it that got replaced 
with homeschooling schooling her children mm -hmm. and managing the Zoom for 30 hours a week. Wow. Plus dealing with the kids. Yeah. And then but but our our society and like especially this whole kind of new agey coaching thing has all these people who keep on basically sort of selling this myth of you can have it all and that, you know, oh, you you can take this opportunity and pivot with it and turn it into something. So I I just I I think that to go back to what I was saying before I think the problem with so much of the new age and spiritual world is that even though it has a sense of abundance and a sense of possibility we've all been breathing the air that is lying to us about how disconnected we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess groundedness is not sexy. It doesn't sell. <laughs> Groundedness is not sexy. Grieving is not sexy, you know, um, and 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 I think and that fits into the whole aspect of spiritual bypassing of like that somehow feeling uncomfortable is a sign of there being something wrong right. as opposed yeah. to an inevitability of being in a human body. Yeah. Yeah. So if I were a, a narcissist, do I have any hope? Um, in the long game, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I guess, I guess what I would say is I think that when it comes to narcissism, some of it would have to do with how cognitively capable are they, are they of recognizing their own, their own place in it. And if you believe that narcissism arises out of wounds, and arises out of out of damage that in some ways a lot of it would have to do with how young or how early on in the in the journey is it getting caught um how um and how motivated or invested um in actually changing are they and so i think sadly there are some narcissists who will go to their grave mm -hmm. believing that the world done them wrong and will never have the ability to recognize their own part in it. Um, you know, but I do think that there are some people who can see, oh, this is this is where it's at. Because, you know, I don't I also think that the idea that empaths and narcissists are completely separate entities is also kind of the idea that sort of duality and separation idea. I mean, we all have empathic abilities within us and we all have narcissistic abilities within us and i think that a lot of times you know one of the things that that empaths need to own is what's making what's driving our bus and what's making us tick that you know that that in order to shift things even for an empath it has to do with mindfully being aware of what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Mm -hmm. And can we make a different choice? Which kind of leads me back to the whole thing of being able to sit with discomfort. And I also, you know, I, I, I also think that one of the things I can say for myself that made a huge difference was in order to stop being attracted to emotionally unavailable gaslighting narcissists i and people with you know personality disorders in general i abs and and i will say that there have been a couple even in the early days there were a couple really dear sweet creative lovely boyfriends but um but there were also some real real doozies but what i will say is that it wasn't until I was willing to look into the void of loneliness and accept the 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 accept the experience of like of my own feelings of desolateness of my feelings of my own feelings of existential disconnection and learn how to self-soothe learn how to hold my own heart and be like you know, and be like, I hear you, you're hurting, you're scared, you're lonely, and not jump into a relationship. Like that, I think that loneliness motivates us a lot. And 
And it comes out of the, I mean, in a non-animistic society, when we're all disconnected, we don't have our ancestors to give us a pat on the back when we're absolutely bereft. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have the sense. And I, as an, as somebody, as a magical, I mean, it's funny, the word I found, the, the closest word I ever found when I was in, in graduate school or seminary to what I identify as, is a panentheist, which is, you know, and panentheism is very much animism of everything is alive. Everything is sacred. Everything is divine. God is everywhere, is everything. And I, growing up in a family, I grew up in a family of atheists. And so I've had the experience of waking up and being in the world and everything is interconnected and I can see the matrix of, of connection mm -hmm. everywhere mm -hmm. and it is exquisite and it's beautiful and all is well in my world. And I've also had the experience of waking up on these days where it's like, all I can feel is me and the sky is just a sky mm -hmm. and a tree is just a tree and it everything looks kind of like hollow and concrete and I can't feel anything. And when I'm in those states, which I believe is why we're the way we are right now <laughs> in general, um, but when I'm in those states, especially when I, or when I was younger and I got into those states, it was much more likely that I was going to grab a cigarette, that I was going to mm -hmm. grab a drink, that I was going to grab a bag of M&Ms, that I was going to go, that, you know, that I was going to go cruising and go find the next love of my life who was going to save me. So I know I just sort of took that and pivoted with it in terms of you were asking about narcissists and their ability to change. Um, and I sort of said, yes. And I also think that the bottom line is the other thing is narcissists don't necessarily need to change until right. people stop enabling them and empaths enable them. And I do believe that one of the biggest things that happens and one of the reasons why the empath and, and empath narcissist combo keeps happening is because when you do the, you know, there's that, there, there's that old joke about, you know, um, like <laughs> I, hopefully this is politically incorrect, but the old joke about two lesbians and, and the U-Haul, you know, it's like on the second date, they bring the U-Haul. And I think that could easily be true with the empath as well, that the empath brings the U-Haul on the second date. It's like, I remember as a child or not a child, a young adult in my twenties, I would go on a date with somebody and I would start calculating the genetic odds for blue eyes within the second freaking date, you know? And the thing about that is that when we are ready to sell ourselves down the river, when we are ready to marry ourselves off after one encounter or after tumbling into bed after like on the first night, the problem with that is that we do not have the time to discern if the person is appropriate. And so we've already given in to the combo. And by the time we start recognizing that somebody is a narcissist, it's too late. We're bonded, we're invested, and we care. And so I have found that the, you know, that the key, which as a kid, I was like, oh, that's so prudish. <laughs> and I, you know, like, but that the key is, you got to take your time yeah. to find out what you're dealing with. Yeah. And, and like it or not, sex is an incredibly effective way to create bonds and cords between two human beings. Mm -hmm. And once the sex has happened, it's intoxicating. You lose the ability to use your head. Your head goes offline and your soul and your, your body and your spirit and your energy system becomes invested in a specific outcome because yeah. you've started the bonding process with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Like I said, we could do 10 shows. We could. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. We could totally do 10 shows. I mean, this is stuff I'm so passionate about and I have been thinking about for such a long time. And when you wrote and said, hey, you want to talk about narcissists and empaths? I was just thrilled because it's such an important topic. Sure is. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you so much being here. This is awesome. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. So can you tell our audience um, how to find you and where uh, absolutely to, you know, so, your book, your work? 
Yes, please. So absolutely. So probably the easiest thing to do is to go to the hub, which is empathicmastery.com. And there you can find access to the book. You can find access to the empathic safe, you know, and, and to the, um, you know, going and getting like, like sign up and get my mini course for how to do empathic safety. If you actually buy the book, there's a big bonus gift in it for people that has an entire system of like, okay, so you're struggling. This is what you do. You know, this is what to do first, because as I sort of hinted, it's a process to really find your way with being highly sensitive, empathic, and most people need relief now. And so what I've done is in the book, I have sort of the five-step system of recognize, release, protect, connect, and act. But then I also have sort of the cheat sheet, the crib notes of these are the things that if you need relief now, these are the things that you can do. And I will say in my personal experience and working with a lot of other people, one of the things that can be surprisingly effective is look at your sugar intake. And actually, like if you are consuming a lot of sugar, cutting down or eliminating sugar, processed sugar in particular, as well as looking at what's your relationship with drugs and alcohol, those are places where you can start to make a difference. But then another thing is the tool that I absolutely love and has been life-changing for me is tapping or EFT, emotional freedom techniques, and learning the basic recipe of how to use tapping to calm your nervous system down is something that will allow it to be possible to continue to say no to sugar, to continue to walk away from the cigarette and to sit with the loneliness in a way that when we don't have effective tools, we're much more likely to just go back to the thing that worked. Because unlike some people who might be like, oh, that's so bad, what I honestly believe is absolutely everything we do we do because it's the thing that was the closest to working and that it's it was the solution that worked and and it's really mean of us to beat the crap out of ourselves about like well you know look at you you have a drug problem or you have a this or a that it's like yeah that's because that was the one best option i had so i really believe that part of the solution is about learning how to find better options right yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, so go head on over to my world, empathicmastery.com. Go grab a copy of the book um, and uh, sign up for my newsletter, which is will lead you into a whole, whole like sort of welcome my world, basically. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week on uh, Modern Animism Radio. Thanks. Mm-hmm.